Welcome to The Grinning Possum, a podcast about poetry, old-time music, geography, history, and interesting people who put their hands to work. I'm your host, Morris Manning. If it's homespun, homegrown, or just plain down-home, we tend to like it. We cover everything from leather britches to thunder mugs, pokeweed to polecats, and a heap of critters in between. We can even promise the occasional shoeless ditty and witty oddity. Our aim is to go from this to this. From a plain and simple beginning to something lovely most any raw materials can make. Each episode pokes around a corner of Appalachian culture and tradition and wraps it all up in a frolic. As one old timer liked to say, if you've got an itchy ear, just listen at this. And that's all you have to do. to record now a little bit of a song by Stephen Foster. The song's called Hard Times Come Again No More. It's about 180 years old. And I'm just going to accompany the song on a one-stringed instrument called a diddly bow. And a diddly bow is always a homemade device and it features one string in this case, an old guitar string, one end of which is fastened to a stick of cherry wood that's about two and a half feet long. Um, the other end is fastened to the other end of the piece of cherry wood with the screw, and underneath the string is a half pint mason jar that serves as the resonator and the bridge for the instrument. And you could imagine that a diddly bow is a primitive or homemade version of a modern sounding dulcimer. There's probably also relations to a banjo. And I wanted to give this a, a try today because very soon we're going to go to the Colville covered bridge over in Bourbon County where we'll record some poems and maybe some more songs, but we also plan to turn the entire span of the wooden bridge into a diddly bow and maybe be the first people ever to turn that particular bridge into a musical instrument. But for now, we're going to try the diddly bow that I have made, and I'm going to pluck it with the nib of a turkey feather and I've got an old medicine bottle to use as the noter, or some people may call it the slide. Here we go. Thank mm-hmm. you. 
Today we're at the Colville Covered Bridge in Bourbon County, Kentucky. This bridge was originally built in 1877. It's 124 feet long. It runs over Hinkston Creek, which is a wonderful body of water. At one point, there were 400 covered bridges in Kentucky, many of which were burned during the Civil War. This bridge, still standing, is of the Burr Truss design, B-U-R-R, Burr Truss design. I'm going to read three poems here, and then we'll see what else happens. This poem is called A Thread Worth Pulling. You have to wonder, why go on with tale after tale of highly doubtful people who find themselves ensnared in a knot of unlikely events, many of which defy reason, offend polite taste, and invite belief in the utterly ludicrous? I suppose one answer would be satire, or at least a stab at it to see through the Southpaw vision of a fool, if you can give the wickedness and folly people bring to the world a just reward. Invention, too, implies reality is broken or insufficient to fix the mess. The mess, I mean, is in the spirit. Something is wrong, and this is a way to pick the lock on the prison door and swing it open that together we may stroll into the light of freedom or simply to get out of the prison. And the prison, I mean, is in the mind, a mind conceived in loneliness, though with the longing for otherwise. If someone boasts about a chicken, we see how hollow it is to boast. Yet, if someone says, I'll now present my imitation of a chicken, and sits there silent and stone-faced for a couple of beats, then says, That's it. I was thinking of a quiet chicken, a chicken lost in reverie. The imitation invites belief, but just as soon we wonder why a person who's beginning anything would start with a chicken and take it further to imagine a chicken could have a reverie. But then the impossible arrives. It might be true. Maybe a chicken is capable of reverie. Maybe it has an inner vision so clear and mesmerizing the chicken briefly departs the conscious world and when it returns, a well of wisdom appears behind the creature's eyes. I wouldn't rule it out that a chicken could have a reverie. To give high-minded thought to a subject that wouldn't ordinarily command such attention is always a thread worth pulling because you never know what else will come out when you pull. It could be a surprisingly cogent chicken or a toothless man who nevertheless was the best whistler anywhere or a blind woman who lived alone because she knew where everything was or an owl commanding the night from a tree, a sound to hear from unknown distance. So you begin in unknown distance and wander home to see who's there, and if the scarecrow's where you left it. The next poem is called Oral History. Someone back in the old time was nicknamed Yellow, 
who married the daughter of another coot named Squirrel Man Job, and together they hatched a brood of children like Sturdy and Ball and a pair of daughters, Minnie and Maxie, on through Bad, or formerly Bad Tom Baker, and then in the fourth generation, one of the better bakers married a cotton gim gal, and they had four, and one of them had three, and one of them had two, and one of them was me. And by now we'd given up on all the allegorical names. But the first one we knew anything about came riding through the country one day, and, needing to stop for the night, he inquired at the cabin of a man named Briar Ash, and Mr. Ash took in the traveler, but the twist was, in the morning, the traveler's horse, conveniently or not, was deader than four o'clock. So the traveler was stuck and went to work for Ash and married Ash's youngest daughter, whose name was Philomela Ash, later Lomi Ash Baker. She was the mother of Yellow. And that's how we came to be. The horse gave out and Zebulon Baker was stuck like a burr in a country he'd only intended to pass through rambling innocently on his way to unknown destiny. Now, I've been told when Briar Ash, the first of any of his kind, came here, not even a horse switch had ever been cut from a single tree. And then all of them settled along the banks of the various streams that water and wrinkle and lastly name the dark country. And some of them went early to death, and some held longer to the world. This next poem is called How to Fix a Cooch. You would think a visit from misery would shake a person's resolve and prompt a lonely walk through the veil of despair. Not so with Vine Hargis, who wore a crown when it came to misery, or so it always seemed to me, First off, he was orphaned as a boy when his parents drank poison to prove their faith during a dubious reenactment of Pentecost, and it was judged the Holy Ghost had not descended fast enough, or else the poison was stronger than any of the Holy Rollers thought, but there was then a good effect. No more drinking poison in church. Further misery for Vine was losing two wives in a row to a spate of running off with cooches, the first one ran off with Simp Cooch, and the next ran off with his brother Lank, for which misfortune Vine observed, Woman picking is a talent I haven't got the hang of yet, so next time I would be content to let the woman do the picking. And as for Cooches, I am relieved there's only two, so if a woman comes picking for a man, there's not another Cooch to run off with. There might be other Cooches, Vine, I said. Cousin cooches and such, I hear the cooches are mighty thick. Vine drew in breath, and then the appearance of gumption swept like a broom across his wizened and now determined face. The way I figure it, he said, you have to turn the other cheek, but I've run out of cheeks to turn. So if another cooch hops up and takes a notion to steal the woman who set her mind on picking me, I've hit the end of turning cheeks. I've got a shotgun loaded up with rusty nails and broken glass if ever I see a snooping cooch, and by God, that'll fix a cooch. Coming from Vine, that sounded brash, but in the end, it was just a boast. He never minded the cooches much, 
and he wasn't sore for losing wives to brother cooches. People, he declared, are bent to go the way they go, like water wearing out a rock. Some go the way the woman-stealing cooches went, and some wind up some other way. But either way, if a feller follows how he's bent, he'll have to live with where he gets. And that applies to cooches, too. My first two wives did nothing but mope. And when they weren't moping, they were nagging. And when they weren't nagging, there wasn't much to talk about. So now a cooch is stuck with each of them, and that's another way to fix a cooch. Now I am bent to wait for a woman who's of a mind to pick a man to come along and pick out me. So if you see her coming, tell her the waitingest man that ever was is over yonder, down the way. Kindly for your time and keep it in your pouch. Now, Mama don't allow us playing at the same time. No, Mama don't allow us playing at the same time. The Grin and Possum podcast is written and performed by Morris Manning. The show is engineered and edited by Steve Cody and is funded with a grant from the Kentucky Arts Council, the state arts agency, which is supported with federal funding from the National Endowment for the Arts.